Hi, I'm David Freudberg. This podcast derives from the Humankind Public Radio series, which I began hosting back in 1997. Our program recognizes how hard it can be, but also how necessary, for us to hold on to our humanity. So we've sought out people with stories that illustrate how they approach that quest. To aim high, to treat others as we'd like to be treated, to see others as more similar to us than different, to strive for patience and personal grace even in adversity, to be part of the solution, not the problem. We hope our podcast helps to reinforce and inspire your own quest. Thank you. This is Helping Prisoners to Heal, a special project from Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. More than 80% of prisoners in America are confined to state-run institutions, and over 9 in 10 of them will eventually be released back into the general population. So society benefits from rehabilitation of inmates. It improves the chances they'll lead productive, pro-social lives after release. But that can be hard for the one in 10 prisoners living in solitary confinement. In some cases, they've taken a self-study course based on Robin Kasarjan's book, Houses of Healing, and the results are encouraging. First of all, you know, there you are, you, you don't have as many triggers in your environment. Like, n- this is an amazing statistic in solitary. 95% of respondents reported feeling more hopeful about life most of the time or almost always, as compared to 29% before the course. So what would give somebody in solitary the ability to feel more hopeful? I think what uh, helps them to feel more hopeful is a self-understanding that their life can have meaning regardless of where they are, that their time can have meaning. The workbook for this program is called Making Time Count. Wherever you are, you make your time count. You make your life count. Here you are. Even while doing time. Even while doing time. And especially in solitary, where there aren't any distractions, there's, there's like nothing else to do. So here you are in this environment. It, to me, it's, it's really criminal when, when prison systems don't give people in that environment ways to help themselves, you know, throw them in a cell and, and not give them the kind of tools that they need to learn meditation come to a different kind of understanding in terms of their own identity and who they are. You know, the first question we ask in that is, who are you really? Am I just some, as I mentioned before, am I just some criminal? Am I just some horrible human being? Am I just some throwaway? Or is there something more to me? And I begin to entertain a possibility of being a decent, good human being who can make a positive difference in the world. The people I hire on the ground, some of them in California, are people who have done time. And there they are, and they're phenomenal facilitators. 
because they've come to know themselves as something other than a gang member, you know, other than uh, some limited way of, of, of seeing themselves. I, I guess I'm wondering, what is the key that allows them to get to that new level of self-understanding? There is a whole rich human potential kind of buried within most of us, I think. Mm-hmm. How are they able to begin to tap into that? I think it's many levels. I think one is a very explicit statement and belief from somebody outside themselves saying, within you is that seed and that, and that fundamental goodness. You may not know it's there, but I'm telling you that it's there. So somebody is explicitly telling them something that they've probably never heard before in their lives. And probably the conditions of incarceration affirm the opposite for exactly. them on a continuing basis. Exactly. So that's one thing. Then another thing is them understanding what has propelled their addiction and poor choices in life. There's a chapter in Houses of Healing it's called The Long and Winding Road from Childhood to Prison. And then the, the, the whole, starting the whole process of, of healing childhood wounds. And just, just that understanding, the liberation that comes from, oh, it, this wasn't all my fault. My actions were my fault. I have to take 100% responsibility for that. But being the person I ended up being wasn't all my fault. You know, I didn't have an environment that nurtured the best in me by any stretch of the imagination for a lot of these people. I had to go through the program several courses, several workshops to f- really get to the introspection that I needed to do to really understand those things. Daniel Silva first read Robin's book while serving a decades-long sentence in California prisons, including time in a maximum security facility. He now leads a Sacramento-based organization called Self-Awareness and Recovery. It aims to promote the healing of currently incarcerated people, as well as at-risk youth in Northern California. I used to read the book in my cell. I would do self-work and I would work on areas that I felt I needed to work on, on myself. And the that part was difficult because I had become this image, this other person that really wasn't me. Today I understand, I understand that, that there was always that good in me that we talk about, you know, when we teach Houses of Healing, that it never leaves you. It's always in you. You're born with it, that spiritual nature that when your grandma tells you, hey, mijo, you know, love your neighbors, you know, they teach you to be kind, to, mm-hmm. you know, do all that. that. That doesn't leave you, you know. And no matter what happens and no matter how caught up you get and how, how much wrong you do, when, when you really start to take a good look, you, you, you see that, that good person that, that's still in you. So for you, that required reconnecting to that part of yourself that had sort of gotten buried? They call it the core self. I had to reconnect back to the core self in order for me to find, find that, that good individual that was always there. How did you do that? How did you reconnect back to your core self? Through understanding it, through, you know, reading it, through practicing 
to allowing the good in me to to actually make the decisions and make the choices instead of the foggy part of me or that false image that I had, you know, like I said, that I had picked up in all the wrong places. of prisoner rehabilitation is emotional regulation and impulse control. It's the human condition that we give in sometimes to unhealthy or inappropriate instincts. And part of developing emotional maturity is when we learn how to override these tendencies. Some folks who end up behind bars may need to devote special attention to this important set of skills. For former prisoner Alvin Kimbrough, self-care practices have helped him to build defenses against unproductive impulses. I meditate morning and evening, but I pray morning and evening as well. It grounds me, and it just kind of gives me the ability to step out of myself and choose something that is higher than me that I tap into. So that if there's any situation where I find that I'm being triggered or some stressful situation that I'm anticipating towards the day that I might have anxiety over. Uh, prayer gives me the ability to kind of um, refuel and actually just be rejuvenated to kind of have a momentum. So when I do go through the day, I have uh, some force behind me. So um, the mindfulness is what I do during the day as I'm in the process before I speak or um, before I actually make a decision, I actually just take a few moments and get a little oxygen in my blood, and I may count backwards if I see some stressful situation in traffic. Ten, nine, eight, seven, you know, right? Just try to, you know, just recenter re where I am. So uh, those things help, and, uh, you know, I've been doing them now where there's just kind of something that you're used to. Um, so they're all very um, essential to kind of just staying grounded. The other thing that is super important as far as emotional regulation is, although it's not one of the things like we just discussed, is consequential thinking. Uh, that's a huge deal um, because I am 57 years old. I came out of prison at 52 years old and went in in my 20s, and I do not have the liberties <laughs> of taking for granted that I have the liberties <laughs> to do anything but what I'm going to do, which is be, you know, having a wonderful, successful day. I will not allow, uh, with complete autonomy, uh, my day to go any other way than what I will it to be. At this stage, I can do that. Inside the institution, oftentimes that's sometimes done for you. you know, they tell you to lock it up, you're going to lock it up. They tell you you're going to stay on the right line, you're going to stay on the right line. And more importantly, um, they're going to put you in situations where you're going to be controlled. And as we used to say, yeah, you're going to mind somebody. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that kind of has a merit as well because it teaches you, uh, you know, as I heard uh, uh, a warden tell me one time, you know, look, man, you're an intelligent man. Either you control yourself or we're going to control you. And there's prisoners that are, you, can, you know, one thing I love about California is that anywhere you go, you can see some wonderful communities. You know, I go all over the state with my job and people wave. And you can, when you're in a great community, people wave at you all the time. 
they're your neighbors, and they're, they're fantastic, and you can have great neighbors. In institutions, you also have neighbors, and your neighbors can be decent people where, you know, you guys play basketball and cards. There's places like that. And you can also have some neighbors that are very treacherous. Mm-hmm. And depending on you, you're going to dictate who your neighbors are So and your behavior. So I've had some horrible neighbors where no one should be around them. They should be locked in a room with the door shut, and I never want to see them again. Yeah, I just never, I don't care if they are my fellow prisoners, I just never want to see you again. And I've had some people that I miss, man. They were just life-changing men that have just given me so much wealth. And unfortunately, some of those men I would see out here, and I'm still grateful. We see each other, we hug each other, we're grateful because we have a shared experience. But uh, at the end of the day, as far as uh, finding a difficulty, uh, not at this stage. <laughs> I can control myself at this stage quite well. That's a huge statement. Yeah, yeah you, you definitely will find peace. It's just, you know, what path do you choose to get there? exploring how people who are incarcerated can heal from their traumas in life. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information about this segment, Helping Prisoners to Heal, and to obtain audio downloads or CDs, please visit humanmedia.org. I know, speaking for myself personally, it definitely was hard for me. I was very impulsive, and one of the things when I wanted to change, I didn't know how to change. Jerome Anderson, an ex-prisoner, has worked to rebuild his life. Today, he's part of self-awareness and recovery. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I became so in deeply entrenched in my, my thinking distortions and I was acting like everyone else to get this reputation. So when it was time for me to change, I didn't know how. And so it got to the point where people was like, man, I'm, I can't trust being around you because you'll, you'll put yourself and others in so much harm's way. It's like you don't care about yourself. I didn't know myself. And so emotional regulation, first and foremost, I had to understand what my emotions was besides just good or bad. Um, self-regulating, understanding my internal, my external triggers, knowing my warning signs, my physical cues, non-verbal body language, you know, being able to go into a situation and, and let my gut speak louder than my head or my heart. And so that's one of the things with with Robin Consargent and the House of Healing. I've learned that I've always been a passionate person. I used it the wrong way. And so as I learned to start self-regulating, I started realizing that, man, I'm just like a fine-tuned car. When I take this car to the shop and I get these tires rotated, I get this oil change, and I, you know, I spend a little love and care, put a little armor all on this thing, and I this baby drives clean. Well, I, I was not expecting an oil change as part of this, <laughs> but that, that's, a, that's a pretty great example. So how would you kind of assess where you're currently 
at Jerome in terms of your ability to to control and regulate your behavior? Because I think for almost everybody, we 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 have to suppress some impulses, and it might not be easy. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things I definitely do that helps out in my daily practices is the maintenance of it. Um, definitely having a support system like we have, our, our team, um, we're all in recovery um, in one form or fashion. Also being a, a, a life coach, a mentor, um, I'm constantly doing the work. Um, I have people in my life that can speak to me and say, hey, look, I noticed that you, you, know, you might have said something or even your body language or whatever it may be just to continue to keep me accountable and mindful, but also it's my responsibility. I want to consistently show up every day kind. I want to show up every day dependable, you know, reliable, passionate. And so to do that, I I get a chance to, I fell in love with myself as as a result of this, not in an unhealthy way, but in a healthy way, I like the way I think. I enjoy the way I feel. I like being able to express myself in a way where other people are able to walk away with more understanding. And then when there's days when things don't work out so well, I still count my blessings because I'm no longer in the shoe. It was one of the things I had to, as I had learned that I don't play fair. I don't, I don't, I didn't get along with people. And so that was the, I spent eight and a half years in the shoe. That was one of the best universities for me to learn who I was. And also, like Alvin said earlier, how to be a brother. I learned how to support other people. I learned how to actually listen. I realized one of my problems, I didn't know how to listen. I heard, but I didn't know how to listen. A very hard thing for really everyone. Do you have daily practices that reinforce your own recovery? Absolutely. Um, I still work my steps. Um, I definitely do positive affirmations. I use AIM as my A is for being aware of my physiological cues, my body, my internal, external triggers. Um, I definitely um, am able to identify exactly where they're at, how they got heightened or triggered, uh, where I'm at, and then also how I manage them. I do pleasant imagery, uh, counting backwards, and also just to put some distance between my thought and my behavior, the actual actions that I want to take. And so because of I used to be, be very impulsive, I'm mindful of that today. And so just to give me a little time, and I notice when I have a little bit more time between my uh, initial automatic unconscious thought as opposed to me acting on it, that little space is a protective mechanism for myself to come up with the best choice, not only for myself, but for whomever I'm, um, I'm around. How about for you, Daniel, uh, where would you say you're at regarding uh, self-regulation and and controlling your behavior? I do meditation early in the morning when I wake up. I I meditate. I, you know, sometimes mindful meditation, other times just breathing meditation just to mellow myself out and kind of set the tone for the day. I find that I get to the office a whole lot more calmer, calmer and I'm less uh, stressed because, you know, it could be stressful in the job that we have. Uh, We're working with, you know, troubled youth in the community. Uh, We work in schools and juvenile halls and places that 
that you know we're, we we see a lot of emotional imbalance and 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 sometimes we we witness violence and things like that coming from the youth that we were trying to work with you know and and so sometimes uh it it can get stressful and then not only that sometimes just other things just life in general can get complicated and so I try to maintain my my meditation going daily. It's a daily ritual for me, getting waking up, and that's the first thing I do. Which for former prisoners Daniel Silva, as well as Jerome Anderson and Alvin Kimbrough, can light the path for a new way of life, a remarkable example of human resilience. Again, Robin Kasarjian of the Lionheart Foundation and author of Houses of Healing. Within everyone, is that core of, of, of goodness and wisdom and clarity. And, and there are many paths on the same road to that place within yourself. Some of them are more intellectual. You understand, you know, somebody's explicitly saying this fundamental goodness exists within you. And then there are practices such as meditation, and relaxation and various uh, spiritual disciplines that help you to quiet yourself, to align with that part of yourself. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Antonio Oliart-Ros. Editorial assistance from Kathy Graham, Ken Rogers, and Rowan Edwards. Webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Devin Strolovich of KALW Public Radio in San Francisco. Thanks also to Steve Martin, Laura Carlo, and Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. This segment, Helping Prisoners to Heal, is Humankind Program number 298. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind.